If you want to open your Bibles, we'll be continuing on in Habakkuk chapter 2. Continuing on in our series, looking in the minor prophets and seeing what uh, God has to tell us through his word. Uh, just a reminder that uh, we will be having a me- members meeting that's coming up on the September 22nd, so next Sunday. Uh, so please be uh, keeping that in mind. So members meeting for all those who other way of calling it is a family meeting. So just a reminder for all those just to see what's going on and what we are hoping to uh, begin coming up in the new year. Let us pray. Father God, we just praise you for today. We just take this moment to calm our hearts to continue to reflect upon who you are about what you have done for us, what your son Jesus Christ has done for us through the cross. And Lord, how you continue to work in and through and amongst us, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just pray that indeed you are glorified. God, I really want to preach so that you are glorified. And Lord, there's no way that I can do that on my own. So Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon, Lord, first to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. So we're in Habakkuk 2, verse 6. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up, and I'll read along. Follow along with me. It says this. The word of the Lord says this. So not all these take up their taunts against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Oh, for how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtor suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain from his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples who have forfeited your life. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city in iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire, and the nations were themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink, You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. When will you will have your fill of shame instead of glory? Drink yourself and show yourself uncircumcised. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when it makes his shape, when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For it make, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. 
Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake to a silent stone, arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. This is the word of the Lord. Yesterday, or last week, we took a look at Habakkuk 1, where God, or where Habakkuk was having a very frank conversation with God. There's two questions and two answers, and Habakkuk really struggled with what God had to say. So he finishes off, God finishes off in Habakkuk 2, verse 4, he says, the righteous shall live by faith. So he took a brief moment to take a look at what that, uh, that is. This is not a blind faith. The Christian doesn't have blind faith. It is only blind if you don't know what God has done for you. God has done marvelous things. I was reflecting upon this all this week because I frankly quite needed it a lot. God has done marvelous things. He is good all the time. And the root of that is found in what he has done for you through his son, Jesus Christ. Christ died for your sins and he rose again. Think about that. We don't have blind faith. If you're a Christian, you have no blind faith. It is based on the certain hope of what Christ has done for you through his son, Jesus Christ. He died for you. You sinned against a holy God. You deserved hell. You could do nothing to undo that damage. God was fully in his right to leave you there. But in his grace, in his mercy, he comes down and pays a price that you couldn't pay so that when you repent and believe in what he has done for you, you have life. We were reminded about that in Habakkuk 1. God is good. He is good all the time. That is what sustains us through suffering, through pain, through all circumstances. It's why Paul could sing for joy while he was in a prison. Have you ever thought about that? It's not a really happy place to be. But he's singing for joy. Our joy is not based on what songs we sing, but on what God has done for us. It is foundational. It is important. And sometimes it's frustrating when people say, I don't have any joy anymore. The songs aren't giving me joy. And I look at the word of God and I say, what? If my joy is based on something so fleeting as a music style or what my emotions are, or what my feelings are, I'm in trouble. My feelings change like from when I wake up, when I'm usually grumpy and cranky, and then when I go to bed, when I'm so grumpy and cranky. (laughs) My joy has to be based upon what God has done for me. It is sure, it is certain, it will happen. And Habakkuk reminds us of these things because history tells us that Babylon was wiped out. And that's what happens here. So Habakkuk reminds us in this first part, even in the midst of all these questions that I don't know, I don't know what's going on, God, I will live by faith. Faith in what? What you have done for me. But then the next question that follows up is, what does it look like when we do not live by faith? 
And that's what Habakkuk begins to break down to us in five stanzas. What does it mean to not live by faith? There are consequences to not living by the faith that God calls out. And that's what these curses are all talking about. See, the language in this chapter is ambiguous. It's kind of, it doesn't really nail down the specific person that's going on here because it talks about anyone who has suffered, who has caused suffering to anyone. Right? Even though specifically in the context it's talking about one, it is ambiguous because it could be applied to you and to me. So Paul, or not Paul, Habakkuk comes along and he says these five woes. And the first one being this, not being faithful leads to greed. It's foundational. Verses 6 to 8, they've put their trust to be satisfied in things. I was thinking about this. In verse verse 6, the oppressor has claimed what is not his, and therefore he will lose it. The question not isn't if, it is when. Those who have plundered will be plundered themselves. There's just wisdom there, right? If you live by violence, you will die by violence, right? Like that's just a thing that we know. And that's essentially what God has said here. You have plundered other people, you will be plundered yourself. In verse, in verse 7, there's a threat there. Will not your debts suddenly rise? The spoil and the plunder is just on loan until another nation who's bigger and stronger than you, who has the ability to take it from you, will do that. The oppressor, Babylon, has put their trust in things. And God will take that away. The debts of the greedy will come back. And as they overextend themselves, trying to satisfy their craving for more, there will be consequences for this. In our contemporary society, we see this all the time. There is more household debt in our world now than there ever has been. We, but, but there has never been a society that has been so rich. You think about that? Like I remember when I first started off, I, I was at a uh, barbecue last night for one of my young people. He, he got a full-time job. And I'm thinking, what in the world is happening to me? I'm getting old. Uh, he's got a full-time job with the Oakville Fire Department. I'm like, praise God. And then we're talking about how much he was making. And I went, what? <laughs> Our taxes are high, man. <laughs> I was like, he may, he'll be making more than I do now. And he's 21. And I went, uh, you know, but even back when I was first starting out in ministry, I remember typing in, I've said this before, typing in my salary into this this machine thing online and says where you fit in in the world's economy, a world's income. And I went, because uh, I'm whining, complaining all the time about how little I have. And then I put it into perspective and I went, wow, I'm like the top 3%. See, not being faithful leads to greed. It leads into our contemporary. And when we can't, if we don't have the money in our pocket to buy what we want or what we need, what we do, we charge it. But what happens if we charge too much? Who comes a knocking? The debt collectors. We've overextended ourselves. We lose our job. We can't afford to pay those payments anymore. So we begin to crumble and fall. The not being faithful leads to greed. 
I'm not saying, like, there's a whole slew of other circumstances that come into this, I understand. But specifically, these things. In verse 8, for the blood of man, God will hold you accountable for discriminating, for indiscriminate bloodshed. You know, I was thinking about this myself. You know, I struggle with greed. I like toys. I like to buy things. Specifically, you know, when I am struggling with things, you know what the first thing, one of the first things I do, if there's been a rough meeting or something, I go to the store and buy Twizzlers. Let's do it. If I come home with Twizzlers, stuff says that type of meeting, eh? Like, it was that type of meeting. Just be quiet, let me eat my Twizzlers. But it's funny, right? But the, the, the reality is, is I put my trust in Twizzlers. The Twizzlers are what's going to make me feel better. But how often do we do that throughout our whole world lives? Greed is that, right? Shopping addiction? Oh, man, I get that great feeling when I buy a new toy. Right? Oh, yeah, bring that light, shiny little... For me, it's usually a white box because I'm an Apple guy. And you, you, you get that... You know that sound when you undo the box? It's like... I'm like, oh, yes. And you peel off the plastic and all that stuff. I'm like, this is great. It's fleeting. It goes away. Not being faithful leads to greed. And that's what happens. We see this all around us. The problem that this woe is, is it's showing greed. It's something we all struggle with, but it leads to destruction for all the persons who don't trust in God. If I keep putting my trust in Twizzlers, I get fat. Right? I'm working on it. Okay, I've actually been doing pretty good. If I put my faith in buying new toys and getting more things, it breaks, it falls apart, I've charged it. What happens if I lose my job? I can't afford to pay the thing that I just bought. A fancy new car. I was making fun of my friend yesterday. He's a firefighter too, and this is going to be funny, because I walk into, and like, he's got like this amazing looking truck, and then right beside he's got a new car and some Mercedes. And I went, what in the world's going on? We need to be careful of what we rely on. God is our portion. He is all we need because he has saved us by his grace. He has been so merciful for us. He did not give us what we deserve. He gave us what we don't deserve. That is an amazing thing. And when we don't live by faith, we try to satisfy our need. We put trust in other things and it begins to fall apart. There are consequences to what happened. When we take God and sideline him and elevate what he has blessed us with above him and put greater value in his creation rather than in the creator. It leads to greed. But not only that, as this burden begins to crush, there's a downward spiral that begins to happen in this text because the second part that happens in verse 9 to 11 is that that, uh, not being faithful leads to injustice. Putting trust in things leaves a hole that can't be filled, seeking any means to fill it. And if I can't get what I want through the, through the means that I have, what, will, what is the next step? I'm going to take it. And I'm going to beat down anybody who's in my way in order to get it. This is why we have jails full of people. Not being faithful leads to injustice. Woe! 
that there's this woe here in verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain from his house. Babylon is condemned for relying on all the stuff they got, get for, for, protect, for, for protection. They're, they, 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 they're relying on what they have. And then they talk about how uh, his, he sets his nest on high, like how an eagle makes his nest so that no one can get his, his a- or her eggs. No one can get to whatever is up there. This is what Babylon is doing. Historians say that Babylon has such a massive wall that it had a hundred gates of bronze. Bronze is expensive. And it's big enough that four chariots could go through. These aren't like little dinky little things. These are like, like probably from here all the way to the, like they're massive. And they're beginning to put their trust. Their security isn't found in buildings, locks, or security systems. Security is found in dependence upon God. But then there's a threat in verse 10. You have forfeited your life because of the injustice they have done that came from their greed. God will hold them responsible for what they have done. You've got to picture it this way. Because in verse 11, it talks about stones will cry out. And the beams will cry out. And I was looking at that going, uh, stones don't cry, beams don't cry. So what's going on? Think about it this way. A, a general, a Babylonian general comes and he's, he wants to, he's lived the good life. He wants to keep living the good life. So he wants to build a house. So what does he do? He goes to Billy's house down the street and he takes the stones from Billy. He takes his house down so that he can have stones to build his magnificent house. And then he takes the beams so that he can build his house even greater and grandiously. He has done the, he has this beautiful home, but as people are walking by, they don't just see a house, they see a forest that he had chopped down so that he could build his house. They see stones from the house of Billy's house that he tore down just down the street. So when the opportunity comes, they will see that he, that he is treated like those he has mistreated. The oppressor believes wealth accumulated in this way provides security. Raising his house, both the building and the family or the nation or the church, beyond the reach of those who would act against it. The oppressor's reasons just like the eagle, I've built it up high. No one's going to get it. But God says, uh, you can't get high enough. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. I care. And I will deal with you. See, last week, the kids, when they uh, were up here doing their uh, family, family devotional time that we do, we introduced the Ten Commandments. Have you ever looked at the Ten Commandments? They're broken down into two parts. The first three talk about my relationship with God. The rest of them talk about the relationship I have with other people. But all that relationship with other people is dependent upon my relationship with God. When my relationship with God begins to get all perverted, my relationship with people becomes perverted. I begin to not see that people are made in the image of God and therefore begin to treat them as an item to be controlled. It's important things. We need to understand that, when my, that my relationship with God is a priority because it judges my relationship with other people. In a church setting, in a church that's at each other's throats, that's eating each other up, 
It's because they forgot who they are in God. And that's what's happened here, even in Habakkuk 1, right? We see that with, with God coming along and he says, uh, uh, we see Judah has started to eat away at its own people. The people in Judah, the elite crowd, the nobles, the kings were eating away at its own people. They were taking advantage of him. God says, I'll take care of it. They had forgotten their relationship with God. God is concerned with people. He cares for the needy of the land. Reaching down even to the sons of the handmaids, the lowest rung of society. Shame on those who oppress people, taking advantage of others in order to pile up their own wealth. You know, I, I, for me and my generation, we talk about social justice all the time. Like social justice is like the thing. The danger that happens is when we cross the line and turn it into social gospel. That we pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we can somehow fix everything around us. But shame on us if we don't stand up for the weak, the marginalized, and the widows. Shame on us. We hold it in tension with the gospel. God has done great things in us and it causes us to go out and do something. We can't fix it, only God can. But God cares for people. And as greed leads to injustice, it leads to violence. Not only are they going to take advantage of people, they're going to do, they're going to do horrific things to people. Not being faithful leads to violence. You see this in verses 12 to 14. We see this woe in verse 12, building a town with blood. And then there's a threat that people labor merely for fire. God has determined that their work is in vain and it is useless. See, the reason is this. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. See, all building projects may be intended to point to their own grandeur. We see this in Daniel chapter 4, verse 10, when King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylons, is so puffed up with himself. He says, oh, look at all the great things that I have done. But if you grew up in Sunday school, you remember what happened. He turned into a beast. We see these things. God, but God's sovereign hand means that they will end up toiling for even the basics. Instead of the glory of the oppressor, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God's glory. Not the man's glory, God's glory. Where do you see God's glory? It's shown in the character of God. Moses saw God's glory and he announced God to be merciful, gracious, and just in Exodus. This verse here is bringing together glory and knowledge. God's character will be known by all, which means that the oppressor will be doomed if they continue to oppress. See, the oppressor isn't content with their injustice, so they move on to more violent methods. When we don't believe God is better than life, we move further and further down a hole that we can't get out. And we try to get out by putting more stuff and trying to get more stuff. And we're finding that all we're putting in this hole is quicksand. So we just keep sinking deeper in a hole. They have taken God <clears throat> as not better and put their trust in other things. You know, you, I struggle with this. You struggle with this. As a church, we struggle with this. 
Building things isn't bad, okay? It's not bad to go and build a house. But how I build my house and with what I build my house does matter. If I come at the end of my life and I've built this magnificent home, actually a home, and I've taken from other people, and I've taken part in injustice so that I can do it, if I've put my hope in anything else than what God has done for me to build what I have in my life, I am guilty of these things. We can apply it to a church, can't we? It's possible, this is from a commentary that I was reading this week, it hit me hard. It's possible to build a large church by secular means. You ever think about that? That is, he continues on, you can prosper externally by using good marketing, advertising, and other secular techniques. Find out what the people want, and then give it to them. That is the secret. If they want a bowling alley and gymnasiums, give them a bowling alley and gymnasiums. If they want classes on how to fulfill themselves as individuals because uh, individual people and get ahead in business, then give them those classes. If they want soothing, reassuring sermons, give them such sermons. Give them anything they want. Above all, do not confront them with the harsh statements or demands, demanding standards of the Bible. A church, build, a church building along with these lines, a church built along these lines will grow. I have no doubt. As I have said, the commentator continues on, but it will not endure. When hard times come, or tastes, including tastes of religious change, it will fade away. On the other hand, a church that is seeking to do things God's way will endure, even though its way may be harder and the growth is slower. Floods may come upon the church like this. The winds of an adversary may blow upon it, but it will stand and be a source of blessing. I want that. It is so easy to come and build a church based on marketing techniques. I want a church that is built upon the good news of Jesus Christ. It is a sure foundation. It will withstand anything. It may not grow as fast as I want it. It may not have the coolest music that I want. It may not have all the fast, fancy lighting and all of the hip, I should get some hip glasses or something. It may not have all of those things. But I want a church that endures. I want us, I want us to endure. I want Knollwood to endure. And it will not endure unless we build our church based upon what God wills for his church. We cannot prostitute out the church. God has an opinion on what we are called to build ourselves and his church based upon. And when we compromise because other people want a gym, and that's way out there, okay? We're not going to put a bowling alley in. <laughs> But the principle still stays the same. I want this. I want to be able to withstand the floods that are coming. 
Because the floods are coming. Persecution is happening. It will continue to grow. The world is not getting better, folks. What are we going to build it on? Where is my hope? The righteous shall live by faith. I want to be counted as righteous. When I die, I don't want to stand before the throne of God. God is not going to say to you, way to go, Nate. uh, Probably Nathaniel, which is my full name. (laughs) Way to go, Nate. You built my church. He will never, ever say that. God built his church. God calls people to himself. God sustains his church as the author and the finisher of our faith. God will say this, well done, good and faithful servants. Not, hey, way to go, you got the church full. He will say to me, were you faithful? And I want to stand before God as someone who's counted as faithful. Not to say that we don't like these fancy things. We got these new light things. I like them. We got drums. I like them. But if we are building our church based upon those things, we will crumble. We are called to be a church that is centered upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't aim to be anything. We don't aim to be an anything est church in town because we're not comparing ourselves to any other church, but to the holiness of God, which will shrink the church down in size, in its own estimation, and make us hunger for the holiness that only comes through the riches of Christ in the gospel. A gospel-centered church aims to be a gospel-proclaiming church in this town of London. This is why we pray every Sunday for other gospel-preaching churches in this city. That God may be glorified. Because that would be glorious. That would be amazing. And I pray that I am a person who whose faith is based on what God has done for me, not based on what other foundations are out there that will crumble. Life is going to get hard. Life is hard. And if I'm building my faith, if I'm building a church, if I'm building anything else other than Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, it will crumble and fall apart. We see that all over the place all the time with people. Why do people run away from their faith when things get hard? Because their foundation is on something else. The second thing, or I don't know what number we're on, but another one is this. Not being faithful leads to seduction. They've given up. You see, there's a progression. Greed, mild injustice, more injustice, violence, and then seduction. As the oppressor hasn't uh, moved any, as he's found no satisfaction in any other method, he goes and he moves on to his relationships. But the problem is this, is that he has no concept on how to love. So he seduces his way in. He woos them. In verse 16, cup and, and, and in verse 16, we see this, the cup in the Lord's right hand. What has been done in verse 15 will happen to you. You see that. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. 
just so that he can gaze upon their nakedness, so that he can bring shame to them. Woe is that. This is what will happen to you. God's wrath. You need to look at Revelation 14, 16, verse 1 and 19. The cup of God's wrath prefigures the wrath of God in the final judgment. But when we look at the cross, we see that Jesus drank the cup of wrath as our substitution. Do you see that? If I put my hope in my life based upon anything else, I get to drink that cup of wrath. What a great way to look forward to at the end of time. But if I look at Matthew 26, 39, Jesus says, And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So when we repent and believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I don't drink the cup of wrath myself. Christ has done it for me. So all of these woes that you see here do not apply to the one who has repented and believed, who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. They apply to the one who hasn't. And he goes along, he says, show your uncircumcision. Show your uncircumcision might, might also be translated as be reckoned as uncircumcised, be reckoned as not the people of God. God, the one who holds the true cup of shame, will bring it upon them as an exact retribution. Not now this person has looked for security in things, being disappointed there. This person has rejected God. He turns to people and their relationships. And further, the last one is this. Not being faithful means leads to idolatry. Ultimately, this is all summed up in these few verses. Why worship? Why not worship these things, as he says uh, later on? Three reasons. What prophet is an idol? Or better, who can trust an idol? See, trust is an important thing. These people were putting their trust in stuff. uh, Stone, wood. We put our trust in things all the time, but these things, they are teachers of lies. They teach nothing but lies. They, They can't hear our prayers. They can't respond. They do nothing. There's false hope. And we look at this and go, oh yeah, we're... uh, we're a far better society. We don't have wooden carved things that we worship. Yeah, you're right, we don't. We got bank accounts, though. We got jobs, we have education, we have beauty. We idolize a lot, if not more, in our society than we did back then. See, when, how, how, how you can tell if you're idolizing someone is if you, where you're putting your trust in. Do I trust that I can get myself out of this situation? Do I trust that this church will grow based upon my great and amazing social media stuff? Do I trust that I can retire? Do I trust or do I put my reliance upon God? 
Third thing is making an idol means that the worshiper has made a god in his own image. Have you ever thought about that? When you're literally carving out an image, you're doing it in your own image, and now they're bowing down to the image of themselves. But the worshiper of the Lord God has been created in the image of God. Worshiping an idol of an image means that our God always will be too small because it will always conform to my own image. And it will cause downfall. The other reason why it says this is that uh, it cannot even speak or give guidance. Why should anyone cry out to what is incredibly dumb? The idol cannot answer, it cannot save. Putting my trust in my money, putting my trust in my family, putting my trust in anything else can't save me. Only God can. Trust is talking about what we rely on what we get our protection from. If we stand or fall depends on what we rely on. God calls his people to trust in him at all times, to live by faith. We all trust, but it is often in the wrong things. We trust in wealth. We trust in important people. We, we trust in military fortifications. We trust in beauty. We trust in our personal abilities. These are all things the Bible talks about. The trust that God calls us to is not an illusion. It's not a spiritual high. It relates to life crises. Trust in God wipes away all fear because he is our hope of salvation. Habakkuk is mocking the Babylonians for the worship of an idol and the people of, of Judah for wanting to be like them because we're called to worship the God who is in the temple, as we see. Literally, palace. This is the heavenly sanctuary of the Lord, the great king who rules over the world. You see the amazing contrast here? Here are a bunch of dumb pieces of wood and stone. Or you can worship the living God who lives in heaven, who creates all things, who is the sovereign one. And the outcome of that is this. Let all the earth keep silent. At its root, this is really about Jesus. We're called to live by faith. The ramifications of not living by faith are just, this is not an exhaustive list, but are these things. But uh, the reality is, not living by faith in Jesus Christ will always lead to destruction. may not be now. It will most definitely be when you stand before the throne of God. What are you relying upon today? What is your trust? Where is your trust found? Is it going to be in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for my sins, or is it going to be in my own abilities and what other people can do for me? See, God created us for his glory, and when we reject that, nothing will fill that purpose. So, so what? It's through faith we see that God is better than what life has to offer and what death can take away. That is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where it's found. That is the so what. It is through faith we see that God is better than what life has to offer and what death can take away. I pray for you, I pray for me, that God would, by his spirit, encourage our hearts that we, as we leave this place, would find ourselves building a foundation based upon what God has done for us. Not on things that are so fleeting, 
like things. Because as I've been reminded about, as the great Tolkien quote is, not all that glitters is gold. Only God is the gold. Let us rely upon God, who is the author and the finisher of faith. It is through faith we see that God is better than what life has to offer and what death can take away. Let me pray. Father God, we just praise you for who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that as a church, we would leave this place resting in what you have done for us and not based upon the fancy trinkets that this world always has to offer. Lord, may our hearts praise you and glorify you. Lord, may our joy be found in what you have done for us. Lord, we are a people saved by your grace. May, as we come to realize that, may that come out in our singing, may that come out in our interactions with one another, may that come out in every aspect of our lives, may that spur us to go out and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those who do not have the joy that we have. May you be glorified, and amen.